who really knows the truth and can you really trust it? Buy you justice, buy you justice. You can try your hardest, can't buy you justice. Okay, I think we have to get one thing out of the way right off the bat. Uh, let's see, you're gonna jump over here real quick and check this out. Someone saw Barbara's silver Toyota parked in the woods off of a hunting club road. For a lean, well-maintained vehicle like that to be parked off into the woods on a hunting club road was just uh, very suspicious and out of place. Her keys were found lying in the gravel road beside the car. But by the time police were able to get a tow truck to bring her vehicle in for investigation, a downpour of rain compromised the evidence. There was an inch of water in the floorboard of the vehicle. That's how much rain had came just in that few hours there. Police found Barbara's home undisturbed. Among her belongings left were her glasses, cell phone, and even her gun. The only sign of a possible struggle was out in the carport. Her cordless landline phone was found on the ground with the batteries out. Police say it's hard to link that to any foul play. She was known to where if she went outside or something, she would bring that cordless phone outside and with the storm that come through, it could have easily been blown over. She could have dropped it out of being startled. She could have dropped it out of a struggle. We don't really know. The Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office poured over Barbara's cell phone and landline records and found nothing out of the ordinary. There's another tip they received in recent years they've ruled out. A couple from Alabama came forward saying they believe they saw Barbara where her car was found in 2008. They claimed she was speaking with a man in a pickup truck. Investigators looked into this and believe the couple actually saw a witness who found Barbara's vehicle. We have talked to the ones that were assisting with locating the vehicle, and we believe that that is the same person that they saw whenever they were passing going to Alabama. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's talk about this for a minute. I don't know if Captain Ben there has interviewed the two people who saw Barbara Blunt that day on the side of the road standing by her own car. And I don't know if Captain Ben has interviewed the lady and her son who found and helped retrieve Barbara Blunt's car a few hours later. But I do know one thing. The Alabama couple is from Holden. The man retired from the Exxon refinery before they moved out of state. He uh, spent most of his life in Holden. And this couple that passed Barbara Blunt on the road, they didn't know Barbara Blunt, that's true. But guess what? They went to church with the lady whose son found the car. So we've got the live chat line up tonight. If you have some tips that you want to share about Miss Barbara, this is the place to do it. If you want to uh, correct anything that, that I get wrong or anybody gets wrong or just share any ideas for what may have happened to Barbara Blunt, do it here tonight. We've got a live chat that's going on and then there's going to be YouTube comments after this is over because it's going to go there on YouTube for people to check out. So uh, let's see here. I'm going to switch over. Keep in mind, I'm using my, I'm, I'm the, the operator as well as the host of this show. So sometimes uh, you have to be quick with the buttons. Um, I went, oh, I know, I wanted to tell you. I, um, last week, last week I went to a funeral. Um, now, how is that relevant? You have to understand, I'm from Holden. I'm from the same small town as Barbara Blunt. And, and I think by, I was thinking about something at the funeral. Uh, an old friend of mine stopped me and said, are you going to find that lady? And I said, what do you mean find that lady? What lady? This guy 
lived in Oklahoma. When he graduated school with me, he moved to Oklahoma. We were at the funeral of a classmate. Now, understand this. Our class, I think when we graduated, we had 30 people. In first grade, we had about 30 people or less. First through 12th grade was all at the same school. There wasn't an elementary, there wasn't a middle school or junior high, and there wasn't really a high school. There sort of was a high school because high school students like to say they're in high school. I mean, we had, you could be a junior or a sophomore or, or a freshman or whatever, uh, and of course a senior, but there was only one school. There was Holden School. And I'm telling you from first grade till 12th grade, 80% of those folks I graduated with was in school with me. We, you know, we had some ebb and flow of people, but we knew each other. We were that close and we lost one of our own, one of the, the guys that started with us back in first grade. And this guy that stopped me, he was my next door neighbor in Holden. When I say that we had less than 30 people, understand that in, in when I was in, I guess, the equivalent of junior high, maybe, maybe freshman high school, I was the editor of the school newspaper. And I remember distinctly at that time, we had about 1,200 students in the whole school. So you can just imagine if, you, if their school is no bigger than that, how big is the town? And this is where Barbara Blunt disappeared. This was a lady that, that I would see. I didn't know her. I didn't go. I think I, I occasionally went to a vacation Bible school at Magnolia Baptist Church. Um, but otherwise, I was at Holden Baptist Church, the other Baptist church in town. Uh, but we had a, a limited number of churches, uh, just, just a handful of stores, and they were far apart. It was a rural area. But everybody really did know everybody. If you didn't know everybody by name, you knew them by face. And that was the case with uh, Barbara Blunt. I can remember seeing her at the post office, and I can even remember seeing her at Holden Baptist Church for a time. So I don't know. Sometimes those Baptist churches, they just kind of fall out with each other and they swap back and forth. Maybe it was that. Maybe she was just visiting. I don't know. Uh, and, and I'm sure I saw her in the store occasionally. But it was just that way. You know, you saw the same people over and over. And you might know, well, that person is related to that person. I don't know who that is, but I think that's uh, Joe's cousin. You know, and that's just the way it was. That, that was life in rural Livingston Parish. It's changed some, but not a whole lot. Um, it's interesting, talking about that, I saw, let me see, let me see if I can bring that up real quick. Um, I, I saw an interview the other day with Sheriff, the former Sheriff, Willie Graves. Uh, Ken Benitez, you may know him, was interviewing Willie just a couple weeks ago and he was asking Willie about the appeal of Odom Graves. He said, how was it that Odom Graves seemed to know everybody in the parish? And he really, he gave a, an explanation that, that really hit home. Let's see if I can pull this up real quick. Uh, it's this That time in the history of Livingston Parish, still a relatively small rural parish where you could have that personal connection with a lot of people. I remember vividly as a, as a, as a kid, I could be riding down one of the highways, one of the roads that Livingston Parish with Daddy, and he would say, so-and-so lives there, so-and-so lives there, so-and-so lives there. He knew people by their names throughout the parish. You could pick any road and he knew who they were. He knew their family. And it, it's, it's almost impossible these days to do that. But he was at the right place at the right time, having the nature that he had, the, the service heart that he had, and the ability to reach people on such a personal level like he did. And you didn't have to be the sheriff to be in that position. You know, my dad, uh, my mom used to say, dad does charity work for everybody <laughs> because that was it. He was always helping people, but he knew people everywhere. And we were related to people everywhere. 
everybody helped everybody. That's just the way it was in Holden and that part of Livingston Parish. And Holden probably was one of the last strongholds. You know, Willie was talking about when his father was sheriff before him and how close it was and how everybody knew everybody. I don't think it was that way when uh, Willie was sheriff. He knew a lot of people, but he didn't know everybody. And certainly his chief deputy, Jason Ard, who is the current sheriff, certainly doesn't know everybody. So, so the parish has grown a lot. We've had a, a huge influx of people, but not so much in Holden. Holden is still very, very small. Not as small as it was when I was young, but still small. And I say all of that so that you understand if Barbara Blunt went a quarter mile from her house and pulled over on the side of the road to talk to somebody, she was talking to somebody that she knew. And guess what? Probably everyone else in the neighborhood knew that person. Everyone else or in the town, at least half the town probably knew this person. And if you took the description of that vehicle of the guy that she was talking to, there probably weren't more than two or three of those in the, in the parish, more or less in the town. So it shouldn't be that hard. Now, maybe you run the guy down and he's, oh yeah, I stopped and talked to Miss Barbara and blah, blah, blah. And it's just another, uh, uh, another uh, peg in the timeline. You find out, okay, he's, he's innocent, but she must've ran into somebody after that or something. Uh, but you gotta, you gotta follow the trail. You gotta uh, connect the dots, as they used to say. And it doesn't seem like that we're doing that in this case. I'm, I'm very concerned about that. Let's jump over, and while we got the the videos up, let's uh, take a look at at some of the things. This think about 15 years ago. That's when this all happened, and uh, it went like this. I think the first report probably came from Channel Nine, WAFB. Livingston Parish detectives say they've exhausted their search for Barbara Blunt in her Holden neighborhood. Since Saturday, law enforcement and volunteers have been combing the one-mile radius around where Blunt's Toyota Camry was found Friday. The Sunday school teacher disappeared last Friday around noon. Family members say Blunt told a neighbor that she was going home to clean her kitchen. She has not been seen or heard from since. Blunt is five foot seven with dark brown hair, hazel eyes. Detectives are discussing which area they will search next. And a 15-year recap from Channel Today 9. Today marks 15 years since Barbara Blunt vanished from her home in Livingston Parish. Many of you probably remember the case. In 2008, the then 58-year-old kind of disappeared in the middle of the day from her home on Highway 1036 in Holden. Investigators say there were no signs, forced entry, or any kind of struggle. They believe she was lured from her home. In fact, they found her car not far from her home in a wooded area. We're told tips on the case continue to come in. Sheriff Jason Ard posted an update on social media today. Right now, we actually have gotten some information that I feel like is going to be very good information. Uh, of course, we have to work through to make sure it's credible, to make sure it's what, we're, what we need. But I have a really good feeling that this is going to put another piece in the puzzle and help us find Barbara Blount and what actually happened. So if you can help in the meantime, call the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office. Someone says in the chat here um, that the Magnolia area is even smaller and that's a good point you know we're we're talking um north of holden and it's talk about rural it's very sparse and there's just there's a lot of uh what used to be cattle land and, and farmland and scattered out the people are way far apart as opposed to uh the so-called city limits i mean holden's not even a village but uh, you know i'm saying the people are closer together when you get to the tracks and you get what used to be Ham's Grocery and down by the school and the post office, people are closer together. But when you get way up there um, where uh, the Magnolia Baptist Church is, where uh, Miss Blunt went to church, and she lived just down the road, the road that was right beside that church. My father-in-law lives there as well as my brother-in-law lives on that road. Uh, in fact, so does the guy that just left this comment. I know who that is. And I was talking again earlier about my small class and what a small world it is. That guy was one of those, those 30 people that graduated with me. 
So it, it, the world really is that small when you start talking about Holden. Uh, in fact, this is, this is, I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to tell you yet. You're going to, it's a surprise for you, but you're going to find out when we get to talking about those witnesses that saw Barbara Blunt, uh, they, as it turned out, it took me over a year, maybe a year and a half to track them down. And then I found out I knew them all along. I just didn't know what had happened. So that was kind of crazy. Um, but anyway, there's the live chat. Going to be checking it from time to time if you have any messages or if you want to send me a private message at hl at bayoujustice.com. You can do that as well. Um, where do we go from here? I'm going to I wrote I first wrote about this um, this case. I, I don't touch cases unless they're cold. I like to give uh, police officers time. To, to really, you know, do their craft, to hone their craft, to find out what's going on. There's a lot of unsolved cases in Louisiana. I would rather spend my time there because they really need help because the, the, the police agencies, they get overloaded and they have to move on. They just have to sooner or later. Now, I know they've said they, in the case of Barbara Blunt, they're trying to keep it active, but all cases aren't like that. They need a little help. And, and that's, that's what I try to do most of the time. But um, uh, so I didn't, the first time I wrote about Barbara Blunt, I believe was about three years ago. Um, let me see, I'm gonna pull that up real quick and start going through. So what I do, and this is how this, is how this works. I go through and search all of the old newspapers. I, 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 I subscribe to all the archive services and I go through all the old newspapers that I can find. So in some cases, there is no such thing. There's no digital version. If you want to look at the Hammond Vindicator, the Daily Star or some of those, you have to go to the Southeastern Library and go through microfilm. I do whatever it takes. And I try to get the full story because a lot of times press reports contradict each other. You don't, everyone, they do their best. Journalists do what they can despite the, the bad press that media gets. Um, but sometimes they get it wrong. So you have to compare, uh, you need those checks and balances to see what's going on. And I try to go through all of the uh, press available and then weigh the odds of what actually happened and what didn't. And a lot of times they'll they'll correct themselves. You'll pick up a daily paper like The Advocate, and then three days later, because they say, oh, we messed up. It, this really happened at this time or this person or, or whatever. So uh, by doing it, by taking a look at it years later, you have that luxury of being able to, to get the, the what they used to say, true facts. I hate that phrase, by the way. Is, is there any fact that's not true? Uh, but anyway, you can get the bottom line. You can get what ended up happening. So I try to do that. I try to, summar, to summarize everything that I know at that particular time. And that's the way this was. This was May 28th, 2020, um, in the Hammond Daily Star, in, in the Bayou Justice column. The headline was Sunday school teacher vanished without a trace. And you'll hear that in a lot of stories. Um, they refer to her as a Sunday school teacher. I don't know that she was at the time that she vanished. I know she had been. She had been a vacation Bible school teacher. She had even led Bible study, study and did teaching in that area. Uh, but she was still very active in Magnolia Baptist Church. As I said, was right up the street from her. Okay, on a Friday, May 2nd, 2008, a 58-year-old Sunday school teacher named Barbara Blunt disappeared from her rural home north of Holden, Louisiana. Relatives found her doors unlocked, her car missing, and her kitchen cabinets open with pots and pans stuck on the kitchen floor, uh, stacked rather, on the kitchen floor. Later that day, sheriff's deputies found Barbara's car less than a quarter mile from her home, concealed by foliage off Road 7. That's a narrow gravel road, like a, a trail leading to a hunting camp. For both the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office and the FBI, Finding the car that day 
again, I'm writing this in 2020, uh, was it marked the last significant break in this case. Today, 12 years later, again, three years ago, investigators have no clue what happened to Barbara Blunt or why. As she did routinely, Christy Blunt phoned her mother at lunchtime on the day of Barbara's disappearance. But uncharacteristically, that day, her mother did not answer the phone. Three hours later, still no answer. Christy phoned her cousin, who lived nearby, asking him to drive down the road to ensure that her mom was okay. Barbara's nephew, Raymond, drove straight to his aunt's home in the uh, 38,000 block of Louisiana State Highway 1036. That's six miles from Magnolia Baptist Church. And again, that's where uh, Barbara went to church. Raymond found the back door of the uh, leading out to the carport ajar. Open approximately three feet. And I've heard other people say six inches. So there's some contradiction that I've heard since then. If you know the answer, put it in the comments so we can get the, the, the real truth here. Um, and inches away, uh, oh, uh, she, he also saw Barber's portable house phone. You remember those things, the, the ones with the antenna, you know, before uh, cell phones were as common as they are. I think they still had them then. But the house phones had the antenna and the battery inside, and you'd pack it around, look like a walkie-talkie or something. They found the portable, uh, Raymond found the portable house phone on the carport, and inches from that, he found the phone's dislodged battery. And as you saw the sheriff say earlier, that really doesn't mean anything. If she took it outside often and the weather started, it could have just fallen off wherever she put it. She wasn't, didn't necessarily throw it down or somebody grabbed her and she dropped it. Not necessarily. We, it's, we don't know for sure there's any foul play there. And again, nothing else in the house was out of order. The reason the, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but the reason the pots were where they were is she was cleaning the house. Raymond described the scene to Christy over the cell phone while she urged him to enter the house. Inside, he found his aunt's cell phone and her glasses, two items Christy said her mom rarely left the house without. Raymond walked room to room calling for his Aunt Barbara Ann without hearing a response. He noticed the third item, Barbara never left home without on the dresser in her bedroom, her loaded 38 revolver. Next to the revolver stood a bottle of men's cologne. It belonged to Raymond's uncle Jr. He had died four years before that. Henry Yule Blunt Jr. grew up in Holden. He regularly drove to Barbara Ann Barber's family's home in Bogalusa until he eventually won Miss Barber over. When they married, the couple settled in Holton. There, they raised two children, a few dogs, chickens, and some cattle. Junior Blunt, though, died on June 25, 2004, at age 55. That morning, driving a gasoline tanker truck owned by the Lard Oil Company, he picked up more than 8,000 gallons of fuel at the Chalmette Refinery. According to co-workers in the Denham Springs office, Junior Blunt had an impeccable driving record before that accident. However, Leaving the plant that morning, investigators said Junior crossed the railroad track in front of a Norfolk Southern freight train. Signals marked the crossing, but without any automatic arms to stop the traffic, customarily only light traffic moved through this intersection. But still, 
Trains had the right of way even when the traffic lights had turned green. Ronnie Alonzo, a St. Bernard Parish School Board Administrator, he was standing outside the school's district administration building. This was a less than a block away from this accident, and he heard the long train whistle. As he turned to look, the engine plowed into the tanker's center. It was slow motion, like something out of a movie, he said. The train lifted the tanker and turned it on its side. And as it turned on its side, the tanker cracked. You could see liquid coming out. And seconds after the liquid came out, the flames started rolling. The resulting explosion sent flames between 50 and 60 feet into the air. And the billowing black smoke drifted overhead for days, visible throughout Metro New Orleans. And I talked to people who lived in the city at that time, and they said exactly that. It was just like a perpetual rain cloud that would not go away. Junior Blunt died in that explosion along with the train engineer, Dennis Vinson, 58, of Covington, conductor Anthony J. Tony Mills, also 58, he was from uh, Carrier, Mississippi, a third railroad employee uh, lived in Chalmette, brakeman Charles LaBella, 58, he jumped to safety um, before the metal on the train actually started to melt. Interviewed in the Locomotive Engineers and Trainmen Journal, a newspaper sponsored by the locomotive unions, union members lashed out at Junior Blunt following his death. They threatened a lawsuit against his employer for, and I quote, the murder of their brothers. Left a widow, Raymond's aunt, mourned her husband's death for four years. Her children also mourned. But Christie said in multiple interviews that her father's death brought her and her brother Ricky closer to their mom. Both lived down the street, but usually ate their meals at mom's house. The afternoon that Raymond went looking for Aunt Barbara. He found pots and pans stacked outside cabinets and the windows open in Barbara's kitchen. Spring cleaning, Christy told Raymond as he expressed concern about the cool breeze blowing through the house and the rain beginning to fall outside. Christy told Raymond to close the windows. She had left work and she was on her way to help find her mom. Just up the road, a teenager recognized his former vacation Bible school teacher's car partially hidden by trees and shrubbery near a gravel road off Louisiana Highway 1036. This is a quarter mile from Miss Barbara's house. When the teenager told his mother, Christine, she phoned the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office. Again, this was published in 2020 in the Hammond Daily Star. At 4.15 that afternoon, Sheriff's deputies met Christine and her son at the crime scene, a quarter of a mile from Barbara's house. They found Barbara's silver four-door 2006 Toyota Camry parked 25 yards off the main road, partially concealed between two trees. Her keys were half buried in gravel approximately 20 yards from the car. By that time, Christy and Raymond had also called the police. 
and later, a passing couple concerned phoned Crime Stoppers and reported seeing a woman matching Barbara's description standing outside her car that day. She wore a tank top and pinstripe shorts and purple Crocs on her feet. Again, this is what the couple told Crime Stoppers all that time ago. The couple told Crime Stoppers that Barbara's troubled expression ate away at them until they called the hotline. The man said he saw another man standing, uh, no, parked near Barbara in a late model pickup truck near her car. On the 10th anniversary of Barbara's disappearance, Livingston Parish Sheriff Jason Ard called a press conference to ask the public for information that could help his detectives in this investigation. Somebody knows something, the sheriff said. Even if you've given us information in the past, give it to us again. The sheriff pleaded, we don't want to miss anything. The sheriff said his investigators interviewed family members and contractors who visited Barbara Blunt's property in 2008. And they even polygraphed some of those. They also obtained DNA from one person of interest, but ultimately they collected no viable evidence. We still take this case very seriously, but it's frustrating, the sheriff said. Again, this is uh, 10 years later, so 2018. What happened to her, he said. We have very few unsolved cases, so it's important not to let this type of case go away. Sheriff Jason Ard, Sheriff Willie Graves, chief deputy when Barbara vanished, said that Robbery was not a motive in this case. He said that guns, jewelry, and other valuables were untouched and in plain sight within the house. He also described how the weather hindered the sheriff's office investigation the day Barbara disappeared. We had a horrible rain that day, he said, covering the whole road with water. It rained so much that water covered the floorboard of her car, and deputies today still talk about watching the water rise while waiting for the tow truck. It came up that fast, he said. As the floodwaters subsided the following Monday, volunteers combed the woods on foot and horseback, searching for days amid hazardous weather conditions. In the following years, Investigators searched the area with cadaver dogs and ground-penetrating radar. Hunters routinely walk those woods, but to date, no one has found anything of substance related to Barbara Blunt's disappearance. Barbara Blunt, investigators speculated, may have answered her door that morning with a phone in her hand. Since she did not um, answer it with her revolver, the visitor may not have been a stranger, or he may have surprised her by approaching the house on foot. Perhaps at gunpoint, the intruder forced Barbara to drive the quarter mile to uh, another waiting vehicle, leaving behind her glasses and cell phone and dropping her phone in the struggle. In this scenario, Barbara's abductor sat in the passenger seat, forcing her to drive. After parking near the man's truck, Barbara ran, attempted to escape. She dropped her keys in the gravel when he called up to her. If it happened that way, it occurred just as the 911 caller uh, had passed, or the Crime Stoppers caller, or whatever that may be, and saw the frantic look on Barbara's face. Uh, we won't know until we are able to interview them. Now, I wrote that again. 
in 2020. It took me over a year to find out who those folks were that saw Barbara Blunt that day. Over a year. I mean, I tried. I tried really hard. The sheriff's office wouldn't tell me. Uh, I have a really good relationship with uh, Tangeboho Parish. Even, even East Baton Rouge Parish and Washington Parish, they're, they're very good about giving me information. Livingston Parish, they're not big on, on public records requests for some reason. Um, and it's not just me. It, it, it's with everybody. Uh, so, didn't know. Had no clue until over a year later. And this is what happened. Where are we at? So, I mean, let's jump over. I'll tell you what, before I get into to telling you what happened there and how I eventually found the witnesses, let's jump back over to our chat and see what's going on there. Okay. Um, were phone records ever checked to see if she received a call uh, from the time she disappeared? Yeah, they, they the, the police say they checked extensively both her cell phone and home phone records, but they found nothing unusual, just family members. Uh, the traffic light was not synchronized with the railroad lights. The light turned green uh, into the path of the train. What was what, he? Turned green and he drove into the path of the train. And then Ronald says, if they had keys to her car, why didn't they just move it? when they realized it was likely to get flooded? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I think um, I think it had nothing to do with her car. They didn't want her car. It's kind of like the case of Allie Rice. They weren't after her car. For whatever reason, they were after Barbara Blunt. Uh, seemingly, because they definitely did not take care of the car. Okay, uh, I think that's all we have here in the chat. So again, we'll go back and I'll pull up the other report. And the, this is again, a, a little over a year later. It also ran in the Hammond Daily Star. It also ran uh, in the West Baton Rouge paper and um, the St. Helena Echo, I believe. So some one of the St. Helena papers. Anyway, uh, Barbara Blunt abduction, eyewitnesses speak out. Last year, Livingston Parish Sheriff Jason Ard asked two social media celebrities to help find a missing Sunday school teacher and gave them full access to his office's private case files. Inside those files, Woody Overton and Jim Rathman, both former Livingston Parish deputies, learned that investigators interviewed two eyewitnesses who saw Barbara Blunt within minutes of her abduction, standing on the dirt road where police later found her abandoned car. She stood talking to a man who has never been located, a man whose description no one released publicly until now. Oh my goodness, so my wife is telling me that uh, we're dealing with some buffering. Well, that's that's the problem of dealing with live. And I guess I'm a glutton for punishment. I could pre-record these and I wouldn't have to, but I really, I think there's value in getting live feedback from folks and that's what I'm hoping for. But we may get to a point where we just have to quit trying to do the live because uh, I use uh, Spectrum Internet, and it's just, it's not reliable. It's just really not. Sometimes I do wonderful as far as bandwidth, and sometimes it slows down. So if something happens and we do not end up with a good enough recording, I will re-record -re some of this. Okay, Bayou Justice has since located eyewitnesses Wesley and Terry Collins, and this report recounts their full story publicly for the first time. All we want to do is help find this lady, Terry Collins told me. I don't understand why they haven't found the man by now. 
Very few people traveled Highway 1036 in those days. Somebody knows who this man is. We heard someone said he drove a white Chevrolet truck, and that actually was said um, by Woody Overton, and he allegedly had access to the police file. So that was kind of strange because that's not what they reported to the police. And you'll, we'll get into that. Uh, we heard someone said he drove a white Chevrolet, but we saw him in a silver Ford truck. The truck wasn't small either, Wes Collins added. It was a full-size truck, an F-100 or maybe a 150, but not a four-wheel drive. Wesley Collins grew up in Louisiana. But in 2008, he and Terry lived in Fort Payne, Alabama. Before Barbara Blunt vanished, Wes, Terry, and their three youngest children were visiting relatives in Holden. They likely witnessed Barbara Blunt's abduction as they left the area heading back to Alabama. We usually took 1036 to the interstate highway in a meet and we went north from there. A rainstorm came that day, so we cut our visit short and headed out, Wes said. We had an eight to 10 hour drive ahead of us, 463 miles. On a Friday afternoon, May 2nd, 2008, Barbara Blunt, a Sunday school teacher at Magnolia Baptist Church in Holden, left her country home, drove a quarter mile down the street, and disappeared. Soon after, a passing teenager recognized her car in the woods by Road 7, a dirt road into a hunting camp, and the teenager phoned the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office. And actually, it was the teenager's mother that, that phoned. On the dirt road, the concerned teen also found a set of car keys several yards from the abandoned vehicle. With a deputy en route to the possible traffic accident, they didn't, they didn't know. All they knew was the car was in the woods. Barbara Blunt's daughter and nephew phoned police and reported that she was missing. Back at her house, back at her house, investigators found Barbara's cordless home phone outside in her glasses, her eyeglasses and cell phone just inside a locked door left open. Inside, on a dresser, investigators found a handgun, uh, the one that Barbara owned, and they also located her purse and her wallet. Her daughter told police Barbara Blunt never left home without those things. We saw her standing in the misting rain, Terry remembered. She had keys in her hand and something else. I really thought it was glasses or sunglasses or something. I can't be sure, but that made sense to me since taking off your glasses was something that you would do when the rain started. We had just come around a curve, Wes said, and we were pulling our camper. We had to slow in that curve. That's really how we happened to see her as clearly as we did. Wes drew me a map that day. Okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop right here and tell you how this happened. I mentioned that my father-in-law lives on Highway 1036, and he has since I was in elementary school. Uh, I, my wife and I dated in school. We knew each other since, you know, we were kids. And her father, Jim Collins, is Wes Collins' brother. So um, about, uh, about between my first column on Barbara and the second, uh, Wes and his wife moved back down here. They moved back to Louisiana, bought some property, and they were living here the time that I interviewed them. And we were all having breakfast together. And I started talking. Well, you know, it, it happens all the time, you know, in these these little country diners and so forth. You don't have that much crime in Livingston Parish. So 
cases like Barbara Blunt are a big deal. So they come up in conversation all the time. And especially if I'm involved, people are going to ask, hey, what about Barbara Blunt? Anything new? And so we started talking about Barbara Blunt, not not Wes and Terry, but me and somebody else at the table that was asking me about Barbara. And I said, hey, you know, uh, this is what Woody Overton had said. And so it, it adds credence to the older report that somebody else had seen Barbara after she supposedly had been doing her spring cleaning. And at that point, Terry says, well, that was us. And Wes said, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we, we're the ones that call the police. And that's how I learned what all happened. And I'll tell you, I will see what I, if I leave anything else out of the story, I'll, I'll fill in the gaps. But, but let's, let's continue. So, so Wes drew me a map showing the position of the three vehicles as they rounded the curb. Barbara Blunt's 2006 Toyota Camry set in the middle of Road 7, where it joined Highway 1036 as if she had just pulled in to turn around. Barbara stood behind her car in front of a silver Ford parked facing her on the side of Highway 1036. She stood facing the truck's driver's side door, talking to the man who was sitting in the driver's seat. It looked like she had just pulled over to talk to someone she knew, Wes said. I was driving, so I noticed more about the vehicles than the people talking. The truck was not new, uh, but not real old either, maybe a 1998. When we came around that curve, Terry said, the lady turned to look at us and smiled, you know, as you do when you see people in rural areas. But, but something seemed off about her smile. I got the eerie feeling like something just wasn't right. She may have been being lured, Wes said. But for sure, no violence had started. The man was just sitting in the truck. After the lady smiled, I looked over at the guy, Terry said. He wore mirrored glasses like state troopers wore back then. And he had light-colored hair, blonde or maybe bleached with dark roots, almost like a bowl cut, it seemed. His face was thin and kind of sunken in. Sallow, Wes added to the description. The man kept a blank expression as we passed, Terry said, but when I made eye contact, he kind of slumped down in the seat and pushed his head back towards the door panel like he didn't want us to see his face. By week's end, Wes and Terry were back in Fort Payne, Alabama. When Terry read of Barbara Blunt's disappearance on social media, she phoned the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office. Although Terry did not know the victim, she described the lady perfectly, including the striped shorts and unmatched shirt that Barbara wore that day. She later got a call from Detective Chuck Watts, who instructed her and Wes to report to the Norfolk Police Department to review mugshots. So they actually went there and participated in what you would call a photo lineup today. The couple selected Barbara Blunt from a collection of photographs. They identified a picture of Barbara Blunt, but none of the mugshots provided resembled the man in the silver Ford that they could tell. Later, Wes and Terry returned to Louisiana and escorted detectives to the scene where they saw the lady standing. They took her, took them right back to the site, and it was exactly where Barbara's car was found. Detectives confirmed the location was within yards of where they found Barbara Blunt's empty car. Perhaps the man Barbara stopped to talk to was a friend or perhaps a stranger uninvolved in her disappearance. If so, why has he not stepped forward, admitting he was the last person to see Barbara Blunt 
the day she vanished. And why is this man not assisting police finding out what really happened to her back in 2008? Those are the questions that Wes and Terry asked me that day. And those are the questions that I ask myself every day. Ah, so let me see here. Uh, Ronald says, I thought the buffering was on my end. Well, my wife shouldn't have told you. <laughs> uh, Ronald said, I was referring to the cops. You said they found the keys half buried in the gravel by the car. So assumed that uh, this was prior to the flooding. Yeah. So what happened was the, the young man was coming from Holden School, same school I was describing earlier, and he was on his way home. He lived right up the street uh, from Miss Barbara. And he saw the car, got out, walked over there. And when he was walking back, he found the keys in the gravel and he ultimately gave them to the police. Um, so that, that's, that's the whole story of where the keys came from. So all this time has passed and that's all we know. The, the sheriff, as you saw earlier, announced that there is new information, um, but you got to remember, this is an election year. I, I, I hate to say that. I don't. I'm not political. I don't. You, my friends will tell you I don't talk about politics. Um, but the the last, it's kind of like the the cry wolf thing. You know, uh, there was a time when Sheriff Ard brought all the family to a press conference and said, "Oh, we're on this. We're going to make this happen," and and we're close. We're close. And then years later. He, uh, when, when um, Woody Overton got involved, they, they made the, the rounds, hit all the television stations. And Woody said, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to find Barbara Blunt if it's the last thing I do. And, you know, it, all of that kind of stuff gets the family's hopes up. If you really don't have anything, please don't do that. Uh, if you do, then by all means, push forward and, and apprehend whoever has abducted Barbara Blunt or whatever has happened to her, the family deserves to know the truth. Um, I have been saying for months that I wasn't just going to do one episode on Barbara Blunt. So we're going to be talking about Barbara. We will do so throughout the entire month of October. <laughs> Justice. 